And I think what is kind of a deterrent for people like that, my friends that I grew, grew up with, uh, and black people too, in general, is like, when you look at these marketing pieces, there is nobody that looks like us at all. I mean, even if you go to, I'm not going to call anybody out, but if you go to any of these Instagram pages that have, um, you know, cycling apparel, they feature a whole bunch of different cyclists that are wearing dope kits that they like. You don't see any, not only do you see no black people, you don't see anybody from minority groups, period. And I think that's an inaccurate representation because I've rode my bike with people who are black. I've rode my bike with people who are um, Vietnamese, uh, Asian, uh, Hispanic. And I just, I don't know why that is with cycling, why there isn't more representation of my people from different minority groups, but that's something that motivated me with that project. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to link up with my boy Charles and we'll get Nick to do a photo shoot for us. And, you know, we'll have some nice gear that we like from or not. And we'll take shots to kind of give people that imagery of like, oh, look, there's two dudes that look exactly like me and they're doing, they're riding bikes. Maybe cycling isn't just for white people. Maybe anybody can do this. Maybe I can do this, you know, just kind of spark that inspiration. And not only just seeing my pictures, but then they get more intrigued and they see other black cyclists on Instagram that are doing the same thing. And that's like, okay, I'm gonna pull the trigger and I'll give it a shot. to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey, Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast listeners, welcome back. Today's episode is brought to you by Champion System Custom Cycling, Running, and Triathlon Apparel. Their website is champ-sys.com, C-H-A-M-P-S-Y-S.com. Why do I love Champion System and why is it the cycling and triathlon gear that I use? Well, for starters, the chamois in the shorts are amazing. I wore my Champion System bibs for the Dirty Kanza back in June. That's right, 206 miles and about 16 hours in the saddle and I didn't have a single issue. In addition, their gear is really, really awesome. It's lightweight, zippers are great, seams are great. As I mentioned, the chamois is great. I love their cycling gear, but also their triathlon and their running gear. And I've worked with them for several different custom kits that I've designed. Their art department is really, really easy to work with. And their production time frame is actually among the shortest in the industry. It's about four to six weeks from design submission until your goodies are on your doorstep. Not only that, but the folks behind Champion System are some of the people that have been with me since the beginning of my cycling career, and they are based in my home state of Nebraska. So you are in good hands if you do your business with Champion System. I can't recommend them enough. Visit their website at champ-sys.com and tell them that Megan at Maximum Enthusiasm sent you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. The context of this episode, we are recording in early June. It's June 8th, 2020. There is a lot going on in our country right now, that is for sure. Protests have been waging across the country for the better part of the last two weeks at this point over the death of a black man, George Floyd, and society paired with the uh, outrage of that event and the 
recent COVID quarantine um, have culminated in historical events, quite frankly. I mean, we really are uh, dismantling and rebuilding in so many respects, and it's really exciting to see, and it's uh, changing by the day, and um, I more than ever am on the hunt for ways to be better myself and ways to do things differently moving forward and um, continually on the search for voices and energy and uh, people that I can look to for inspiration and to simply uh, show up better, just to be better. And one of the commitments I've been making to myself, especially over the last couple of weeks, just as we've really kind of ridden this wave of uncertainty now for three months or more, is that um, I'm committed to really doing my best to make each day my best day. And this is a time when I have no real athletic goals that I'm working towards. All the races and events have been canceled. I have no real professional goals. There's no new next step or phase in the empire there's no big objective that I'm moving towards or working towards. There's no list. There's no um, accomplishment. It's really just been a state of being and trying to be my best self. And what I'm finding, especially as uh, the stress levels and especially with the conflict right now and all of the online um, negativity in, in some corners of the online media, uh, is that it's really incumbent upon me to do what I possibly can to show up my best self because I understand and know that I'm going to encounter people who are not having their best day or they are not showing up as their best self. And in order to prevent things from going really, really south in those interactions, I want to be able to just hold space and to breathe and to not overreact and to not suffer from knee-jerk reactions. And this was just really powerfully demonstrated for me over the weekend when I got an email that was a derivative of an anti-racism post that I had posted on my Instagram feed last week. It was a long-term friend and a business um, colleague connection. And really, I felt like the email was um, burning that bridge forever. And I simply apologized for the impact that I had had on this person and um, indicated that I would not bother them again. And um, Instead of what Megan historically would have done, which was that I would have gotten very defensive, I would have been um, pretty inflammatory in my responsive email, I would have definitely met this person where they were at, sort of an eye for an eye in terms of anger, and it would have the whole thing would have completely imploded, which would be heartbreaking because this is a friendship that I really hold dear. As a result of me um, really approaching it, as calmly as I possibly could have and taking my time with my response. The long and short of it is that the sender ultimately apologized to me for really losing his shit with me because of his stress level. And he's under an immense amount of stress, which is completely understandable. And I'm not mad at him and I don't resent him for what he did and I'm not going to hold it against him. And I'm really, really glad that we were able to repair the friendship. And it just, it came on a day when I'd had a really nice mountain bike ride in the morning with some friends. I'd gotten my social fix. I'd gotten my exercise fix. I had meditated that afternoon and I, I realized fully what it meant for me to have cared for myself in a way that I could then show up in this really dynamic 
interaction and dismantle um, the the anger and the the conflict that was just waiting to explode. And so I guess what I'm saying is um, perhaps this is the time when many of us who are used to working towards these big objectives and these big goals, we set those big those big bucket list or to-do list items aside and we focus on um, being better people and learning and listening and doing the things that will help us set aside some of our past behaviors and mindsets and also just recognizing how much everyone is struggling right now. No one is not struggling in some way. No one is not impacted by the stress that everyone's under. And if we want to be a part of the bigger solution for everything that's happening right now, we really have to equip ourselves to be our best self. And so what that means is minimizing or cutting out numbing behaviors, going to bed early, getting good sleep, eating, nourishing food, getting movement and fresh air. I firmly, firmly believe that these things are even more critical and essential than they ever have been. We are, we are on the brink of burning ourselves out on so many fronts right now. And if we don't really care for our human selves, then I don't know that we're going to have the durability for this since this has um, surpassed so many months and it will continue to last for the foreseeable future. So I guess that's where I'm at. That's where you find me tonight. And the, uh, the guest of this episode is someone who, to me, really has always demonstrated or epitomized maximum enthusiasm. Um, as is usually the case, the most awesome people in my life usually come via bike somehow. And Calvin is no exception. I met Calvin several years ago on group bike rides down in Scottsdale where I spend time in the winter. And he's just an all-around dude. He's all-around awesome dude. He um, he really just uh, exudes energy, frankly. And he's just one of those people that you're drawn to because he's always smiling. He's just very vibrant. He's positive. Um, started following him on Instagram, started watching the kind of stuff that he was doing. He was pretty new to cycling, and I was really interested and curious about his journey into the sport. Sometimes the sport can turn people off in those early stages, and then sometimes the people that really decide they love it, you know, they're they're in it for the long game. And Calvin has certainly adopted the bike racing um, my, mindset, and he's really interested in actively pursuing um, moving up the ranks in bike racing. And I have no doubt that he's going to be insanely successful at that. But more importantly, what I've noticed on his Instagram feed is the way that he has really become a bike evangelic, evangelist, uh, the way that he is preaching the positive benefits of the bike to his circles and to his communities and to his followers. And um, Calvin comes from a, a basketball background, and you don't generally see a ton of overlap between basketball and cycling other than when basketball players are injured and they can't run. Sometimes they'll use an indoor trainer or bike for, for cardio. Um, he really set aside basketball and was not in a healthy place and picked up the bike. And he's now able to share his love of cycling with his um groups of, of basketball players that he grew up with and that were a large part of his life. And it's just really cool to see him preaching all the things about the bike that I believe in as well, just how much it can keep us healthy, keep us sane, make us better people. And uh, hopefully, as you'll hear in our discussion, I pitched the magic of bike commuting and using the bike, not just for recreation, but for transportation. So I'm excited to see if Calvin starts adopting the bike for those purposes as well. But we have a really great conversation, and at the heart of it, we talk about representation of diversity in cycling. 
And I really appreciate some of the things that Kelvin is doing to uh, address that just with his own initiatives, with photography and working with uh, bike companies and just showing that um, it is not a white sport. We don't want it to just be a white sport and that depicting it in marketing materials as a white sport does cycling a significant injustice. And frankly, it does not accurately depict um, the world of cycling. And so he talks about that. And uh, I really appreciate his thoughts. I also really appreciate all the other places that we go in our conversation. And it really um, re-energized me, which I knew that it would. And I'm just so thankful for his time. He's getting ready to move to San Diego, which is a bummer for the Arizona cycling scene. I will miss riding with him, but I'm really happy for him to get to move back closer to be with family. So I hope that you uh, really enjoy this episode with Calvin Smith, a.k.a. C. Smith. And uh, there will be some links in the website for some of the things that we talk about, including the link to the book that he mentions, Helen Keller's Optimism, as well as a panel that he's going to be speaking on this Wednesday on um, uh, diversity and representation in cycling. So enjoy this episode, my friends. Um, Please rest and please take care of yourselves. We need you at your best. And I implore you to make your wellness a top priority these days. Talk soon. Let's do this. Let's dive in. I'm so excited to get into this with you, Calvin. My guest today is Calvin Smith, also known as at C Smith. Calvin, welcome yes. to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. And it's uh, at C Smith, S E E S M I T H underscore. So it's kind of tricky with the. When you say it, it's you can't super see it. Tricky. Yeah, I like it though. <laughs> I did it on purpose, like it. so it worked out. Uh, yeah. Well, and as I've explored and poured over your Instagram feed for a bit more historical background on you, you are a man that likes puns, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Every you like now and then, yeah. I feel like people should try to have fun in general, and I just try to like. I think actually it originated because. The letter C was taken. Um, just uh, growing up, a lot of people that I grew up with called me C. Smith. So I tried to use that and then it wasn't taken. I mean, it was taken and then I had that brilliant idea of like, oh, why don't I just spell it this way? And then it'll still be the same. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. Well, Phonically, we'll right? Is that, what, is that when you say it? Phonically, it's the same yeah. thing. Is that correct? Okay. Exactly. Cool. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Sounded, sounded kind so- of smart there. I like it. <laughs> You're already dropping the knowledge on us. And we just, we just got started. Uh, okay. So Calvin, you know, you and I met through bikes, which is pretty much how I meet everyone that awesome in my life. And Same. we met um, riding bikes down in Arizona. And my impression of you initially was that you were someone that had been in cycling for a really long time. But as I've dug into your background, that's not the case. It looks like you really busted into cycling just in 2018. Is that right? Yeah, I can't remember exactly. Like tw- the, the second half of 2017, I believe I got into it. And then 2018 was my first full year. And I've just been riding ever since. Well, yeah, you seem like an absolute natural on the bike. And um, again, I guess that's why my impression was that you had been at it for quite some time. So I want to really get into that first, because that's one of the things that I love the most about the sport is just hearing people's origin story. You know, you were a basketball player in your previous life, it sounds like. So tell us about 
playing hoops and then tell us about how you found cycling. Yeah, so I pretty much, I played basketball my entire life all the way throughout college. Um, I ended up, like, in high school, I wasn't that good. And then I had to go to the JUCO route. And I ended up working on my game, getting really, uh, improved my skill, getting better. I ended up earning a basketball scholarship uh, to a school, an AIA school. And after I graduated, um, played basketball for, like, I guess, 24 years or so and then after I graduated I kind of had this rebellious attitude towards working out in general because when you play collegiate sports like you have to work out regardless of whether you feel like it or not you have to stay in shape you have to get in the gym get your shots up so that when you come time to you know play the game you're on point so once I graduated I was kind of I was kind of over that I just wanted to work out when I felt like it and go to the gym when I felt like it And I still had the same bad eating habits, which I didn't realize I had bad eating habits because you burn everything off when you play a college sport. You know what I mean? It doesn't Uh matter what you're eating. So I'm eating bad stuff and I'm still protein shaking it up. And I ended up uh, finding myself like the heaviest I'd ever been. Um, Stepped on the scale one morning, I was 211 pounds and I had never been that heavy and I was like man something has to change this isn't healthy so I started exploring like okay I'll run more Uh, I do not like the treadmill it's like okay well maybe I'll try this vegan (laughs) thing out you know I did the vegan thing Uh for three months that didn't work and then I tried spin classes like you know I never try spin class I'll give it a shot and spin class is cool but there's a part of it the push-ups on the bike and wearing glow sticks in the dark I really wasn't big on that side of it. And so I thought, you know, I'll get my own bike and try to see what that's like. And then the moment I bought a bicycle, the first bike I bought as an adult was a state bicycle, 4130, uh, fixie single speed. And the first ride, it just kind of clicked like, oh, my gosh, I used to ride bikes all the time when I was a kid. And that's that's how I kind of got into it in 2017, 2018. I love that uh, origin story. Thanks for sharing that with us. I yeah. really appreciate how many people come to cycling via running and realizing that running is right. not their jam. <laughs> right. And they're usually the strongest people on the bike, the, the runners and the cross, cross, what is it called? Uh, cross country runners. Those, yeah, they're strong. Oh, cross yeah. Country, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you've obviously taken to the sport like a natural. I mean, you're, you're a gifted athlete. It's obvious in probably whatever sport you're doing, but, um, you've, you've really become very, very competent on the bike in a very short period of time. So tell us what happened from that very first state bicycle, fixie single speed to what you're doing now. I mean, you just finished your second full race season, didn't you? Right. I mean, before COVID. Yep. Before COVID. Yeah. So it was like, I've done like a, a year and a half of racing, but, um, the transition from the fixie to a road bike, I just kind of, realized I wanted to do more than as I worked my way up to riding more and more miles, I got to that 20 mile point. I'm like, I want to ride further. I want to be able to ride hills. So I bought a road bike. I got involved with a local bike shop called tribe multi-sport in uh, Scottsdale. RIP tribe is no longer around. (laughs) Yeah. But I know. Yeah. I met a lot of cool people through that shop and, you know, just riding with people who are stronger than you on the bicycle 
Um, a lot of people are still stronger than me on the bicycle. And I think that's, you know, athletics in general, that's huge with improving your skill is just surrounding yourself with people that are better than you. And that's kind of what's helped me uh, improve uh, in a short amount of time. I have a lot of work to do. I'm not nearly uh, where I would like to be. Um, I'm like the racing categories. I'm just a cat for. So I have a lot of a uh, lot more work and time to put in, but it's fun. I'm enjoying it. And that raises a great question. Where, where would you like to see yourself go in the sport? I know you just started a brand new job. I know you have other aspirations outside of cycling. So what would really bring you an immense amount of satisfaction if you got there? Uh, for me, so I just try to keep that same mindset as when I took on the sport originally is I got into the sport to one, live a healthy lifestyle and to stay in shape. And so I keep that, that helps keep me in check. So for racing wise, I would like to get to a cat three and just kind of hang out. Um, I think anything above that, you really have to, the time committed, the time commitment right. is uh, tremendous. And I have a full-time job and I'm not trying to be a pro, nor do I think I can be a pro. So it really doesn't make sense for me to go beyond that in my mind. Um, so competitively, I think that's the cat three range is something to strive for. And, um, other than that, just ride recreationally, group rides by myself. I think when you're out there training, that's one component that I missed after I graduated is having a regiment when you're in the gym, the basketball gym, you know, how many shots you got to get up, uh, how many different moves you want to practice. The training regimen of cycling brings that to me and helps me scratch that it, that itch to kind of uh -huh. give me, uh, you know, something to, to work towards each and every time I'm on the bike. So you thrive with some structure, it sounds like, and just having a plan. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, competitively, at least. I mean, I feel like personally, I like just hanging out sometimes and not having a <laughs> regiment. But <laughs> I think that, you know, as long as I have that Cat 3 goal, um, it's something to strive for. And that keeps me, uh, keeps me uh, going and regimented on the bike, bike side of things. Totally. And do you also use the bike for transportation? Do you commute? Do you buy groceries by bike? Any of that? No, I don't. I would not be opposed to it. But when I was younger, that's all I used the bike for. So it's interesting to kind of see that transition. When I was younger, I had a, a bike. I had two bikes. I had one undersized Magna. That's all my mom could afford. I think she got it from like Circle K or something. Not Circle K. Um, What was the uh, other one? Kmart. Kmart. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. She got that from Kmart. And then the second bike I had was a Schwinn, a Schwinn bike. It was baby blue, and I found it in the bushes. So when I found <laughs> that bike, I was so excited. <laughs> I spray-painted it black because I wasn't really feeling the blue. And sure. all we used, yeah, all we used our bikes for back then was to, you know, ride to and from our homes to the rec center to play basketball or to go to a friend's house and stuff like that, the corner store, get snacks. And I don't know about you, but I, I had a similar experience as a kid where the bike was really how you got to see friends or things in the neighborhood, you know, further away than you would really want to walk, but close enough that it didn't require someone driving you. And right. I just remember that sense of independence and freedom as a young person, like being able to propel myself to those places. Do you remember feeling that way the same? Yeah. I mean, for me... I had no other option just to ride the bike. My mom wasn't giving me a ride. She was usually busy working, but um, I did have that sense of freedom 
And, you know, we would create little jumps and stuff that we could take our bikes off of or um, little, little drains that were like natural natural launching points for our bike. It was cool. Or we would build like dirt dirt jumps that we would take our bikes on. And it was a sense of freedom. I still feel like I have that now as an adult, uh-huh. which, I, which I think is awesome. I'm sure you experienced the same thing. Like I tell people, you can ride your bike on a road and then drive your car on the same road and have two different experiences. It's just, it's crazy. That's what I Absolutely. like about it. Absolutely. And it's so much more interactive and fulfilling on the bike for sure. It's, I, I agree. It's All a right. Well, let's talk about but, yeah. a little more dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately. unfortunately. Um, Okay, so when Calvin's not riding his bike, what are you doing? So what? So you um, graduated college with what kind of a degree? So I got a degree in business and uh, business administration. That's what I, my degree okay. was in. Okay. And what have you been doing uh, outside of sport since college? What's what have you gravitated towards? Uh, in terms of like hobbies, um, and, or work I, and work too. All work. So work, I'm in um, the medical field. So I do medical sales. And I had no idea what that was until after I graduated. And a friend approached me and told me about it. So I've been doing that for about seven years now. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. Hobby-wise, I think before cycling, I didn't really have a hobby because my hobby was basketball and I didn't play anymore. (laughs) So my hobby at the time was like, chilling on the couch or at a bar and watching football games or basketball games with the beer. And I still like watching football and basketball. Now I'm into that, but I think cycling now is, uh, it takes up a lot of my time, um, in terms of outside of work activities. And I'm into coffee. I'm a kind of a coffee geek. Yes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. So tell me more about that. What, you know, what, what is it that you love about the craft of coffee? What really gets you fired up? Um, so I actually used to hate coffee and then it wasn't until I entered the workforce, um, my manager at the time introduced me to it. And at that time it was kind of like, I drank coffee for that effects, you know, get you going in the morning. But then a coworker of mine, a couple of years later, introduced me to specialty coffee. And there's now there's specialty coffee and there's robusta coffee. I don't want to get in the weeds too much, but with specialty coffee is kind of more that world of wine where you can taste the tasting notes of the coffee, depending where they're from um, and where they were grown, all that type of stuff and um, how they were roasted. And that affects the taste tremendously. So I'm really into all that, figuring out where uh, each coffee shop has bought their beans from, talking to baristas about it, buying it at home, roasting it up on different brewers. So I really geek out about that. Totally. Well, yes. And I quit drinking a few years ago. And so coffee has become sort of my new wine because it does offer these rabbit holes that one can go down without, you know, right. being intoxicated. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> so, so what's your current favorite? What are you really into right now in terms of beans and also your favorite current um, coffee pr- preparation method? So my favorite um, coffee origin is a uh, Burundi coffee and it's not really it's hard to find it because I don't think a lot of roasters really buy it but I tried it the first time I tried it was in San Diego at this uh, cafe called Mason Coffee Works and they're a local roaster out there and they had this Burundi coffee that was just crazy I mean I 
it, it was almost like tea like and oh. i took one sip and i was just like what what is this and i cussed when i asked but it was that it was that crazy to me <laughs> so i would say burundi burundi is my favorite origin um, okay my my favorite brewing method right now i bought a an overpriced espresso machine it took me like six uh -huh. months to pull the trigger on it but i'm glad i did um oh. so i would say just pulling my own shots and making espresso americano um or lattes at home and i really i'm terrible at latte art <laughs> but uh i have five or six coffee makers total so right i kind of have a problem so it, depends it depends on my mood it depends on my mood <laughs> <laughs> i don't I that means you have a problem. I think that means you have a yeah. passion for it. I, I can yeah, think of far worse passions to have. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. You know, that's my thing, and um, I'm okay with that. Like, it, yes. it's not alcohol. It's not. No. It's not like weed. No disrespect to people who, who enjoy those things, no. but no. Um, for me, it's just a bit of a healthier outlet. Yep, absolutely. So, and you mentioned latte art. That is something that I've never even attempted, and I can only imagine it does take a lot of practice. So when you try to make the pretty, like, leaf design or whatever with your foamed milk, does it does it not turn out very well? It doesn't turn out. I need to watch YouTube videos. So my friend and uh, teammate Marco, uh, he's told me I need to watch some YouTube videos. He does really good latte art, and I just kind of – I get the bubbles right, but I don't know how to make – designs and stuff so i'll just end up making a circle and i'll call a circle like oh i made a pancake or i made like a donut you know <laughs> and it, it really looks terrible though but the coffee tastes good so that's what matters the most exactly that's absolutely yeah. what's most important i like that <laughs> I like so it's still a work in progress for sure yeah that's so good um okay well uh, here's my moment of candor uh, you know, you're a friend in Arizona. I've wanted to catch up with you anyway, but you made a post on Instagram that I noticed back in January. And, um, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to pick your brain on it now. And you, there's this photo and I'll post a link to this on the podcast, but with this, with this background, as we talked about with you getting into cycling, you have this fantastic post of you riding with, um, your teammate or friend, Charles, it looks like his name's Charles. Yeah, Charles, and, Charlie, yep. Yeah, and you say, you start off by saying there's an obvious lack of diversity in cycling and just the way that advertisements of products and just representation in the sport doesn't really make it look very appealing or inviting if you don't see um, the representation of the, of the members that, you know, are in a sport that you want to be part of. So I really right. like... You kind of, to me, it looks like you took the bull by the horns and you said, I'm going to do something about this. And so you've got some partnerships going with the photographer and the apparel company. And so I just want to cue you up and have you talk about this for a little bit. What are you doing to make cycling better? Because I, I see it and I really appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, glad you noticed. Um, so personally yeah, yeah. for me, I'm not like huge on Instagram, but I, I kind of use it to promote messages that are important to me. And obviously we talked about how much cycling has impacted my life personally. And I really feel like I know a lot of people who could benefit from that. And a lot of the people that I know and grew up with, they played basketball with me and they may just be hitting the gym or not working out at all. Like I wasn't. And I think that cycling 
um, with the health benefits, it's easier on your joints. They can really benefit it, benefit from it like I have. And you don't have to necessarily get into the sport and become a crit racer and all that stuff, but you can just ride rec recreationally uh, for weight loss, for health reasons. And I think what is kind of a deterrent for people like that, my friends that I grew, grew up with uh, and black people too in general is like when you look at these marketing pieces, there is nobody that looks like us at all. I mean, even if you go to, I'm not going to call anybody out, but if you go to any of these Instagram pages that have, um, you know, cycling apparel, they feature a whole bunch of different cyclists that are wearing dope kits that they like. You don't yeah. see any, not only do you see no black people, you don't see anybody from minority groups, period. And I think that's an inaccurate representation because I've rode my bike with people who are black. I've rode my bike with people who are um, Vietnamese, uh, Asian, uh, Hispanic. And I just, I don't know why that is with cycling, why there isn't more representation of my people from different minority groups, but that's something that motivated me with that project. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to link up with my boy Charles and we'll get Nick to do a photo shoot for us. And, you know, we'll have some nice gear that we like from or not. And we'll take shots to kind of give people that imagery of like, oh, look, there's two dudes that look exactly like me and they're doing, they're riding bikes, maybe cycling isn't just for white people. Maybe anybody can do this. Maybe I can do this, you know, just kind of spark that inspiration. And not only just seeing my pictures, but then they get more intrigued and they see other black cyclists on Instagram that are doing the same thing. And that's like, okay, I'm gonna pull the trigger and I'll give it a shot. I love that. I, I really just appreciate anyone in general who sees a need and just fills it and doesn't look around right. for permission or doesn't make suggestions to other people. You just said, this is something that's important to me and I'm going to do it. And I just so appreciate that. So I just want to say like, good on you. Cause that, I just, the world needs more of that. Right, um, just right. an, and the, and the why behind it is that you truly are driven by such a love of cycling that you want everyone, you know, to experience it, which I think is absolutely. So yeah. And I think so, it's, it's changed my life a lot. So I, I want other people to experience that. Well, and so the question is then, I mean, you, this particular post got a ton of likes and responses. What came of the project? Did you, did you have people reach out to you and say, hey, Calvin, I'd like to get into cycling. Can you take me on a ride or can you point me in the right direction? Did you start to see people asking questions? Oh, yeah. So privately in my direct messages, um, I get a lot of interaction from people that I grew up with. And people that I went to college with, I have friends that have gotten into cycling now since they've seen me in it. And, you know, they they tell me that I'm part of the reason why they get in. And for me, that's like super fulfilling um, mm -hmm. because I know that they'll love the sport and they'll, they'll catch on to it or latch on to it like I did. And, you know, that's really why I post pictures of me in cycling apparel. It's not to be like, quote unquote, Insta famous. It's just to inspire people that I know personally or people who may have grown up with similar experiences that I've had to get confidence and give the sport a try. Totally. Oh, well, you're definitely doing that. And let's talk for a second about the kit company. It's called Or Not Bike, or I should say the apparel company, um, Or Not Bike. Yeah. So this is the apparel company that you've decided to work with in this campaign. Is that right? Right. Yep. So and they're, uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, oh, I interrupted so they're, you. <laughs> they're based in San Francisco. And what I like about them is they're a small company ran by three individuals and they're really down to earth. Um, 
all their their kits are made in the USA. I like that about them too, and the the kits look good too. So I think that you know also their price point for their apparel is something that drew me to them because one of the barriers I feel like for entry into the sport is the economic barrier. Uh, growing up the way I did, I, my mom didn't have money to buy like a bicycle or bicycle kits in retrospect, but you know, if you can represent a brand that kind of is not charging four to $500 for a kit, but instead right. maybe 150 to 200, that's a little more doable. Uh, yeah. And I, so I, that's one thing that I like about them too, is just that that price point is not ridiculous. Cause you know, there's other brands out there. It's like, Oh, you can get a Jersey and a bib and you're checking out and it says $475 and I mean, you and I are working professionals for me to even be like, whoa, that's a lot of money. Just imagine a single mother with a kid or two kids who's trying to get her son or daughter into the sport. That's a non-starter, you know? That's right. That's right. In addition to the bike and everything else that goes with the sport. Right. And then the shoes that are also Those four are to five hundred dollars. So <laughs> right. right, it adds up. Yeah. Um yeah. And tell me about um, the, okay, so what's his name? Charles Everett. So you're the guy that you're riding with in these photos. So he's part of this campaign to help you increase representation in the sport as well. Right. So Charles lives in, um, he's in Arizona as well. He's down in Tucson. And I met him on the local uh, race scene about a year ago. And he was easy to identify because he was the other black guy that was at the race. There was two of us. So (laughs) we just hit it off based off that. And um, Charles is a good good dude, and we're friends now. And then when I reached out to him about this project, he was all ears. And it was awesome to work with him because, you know, I just had the original idea, and I was able to bounce different things off of him and like vice versa, and we are able to bring it to life. So he's a uh, – I think Charles is Cat 3 or Cat 2. He might be a Cat 2 now. But he's been doing it okay. a little bit longer than I have. So is that really the case that there are just two black male racers in the racing scene in Arizona? Locally, I would say, I'll say that I've seen there are four of us and I know every one of them personally. So we would like to change that. Um, But I think, you know, it's, it is unique to, because you have to look at the demographics for, the state of Arizona and then Phoenix in general. And then you're looking at a micro population within that, you know, you have cycling, how many people actually cycle in the state of Phoenix and then how many people of that cycling community are minorities. And I think that there's not a lot of minorities in Phoenix in general. So with that, you'll have fewer minority cycling, but I do think that the sport as a whole, that that's not an excuse for the sport as a whole. There should be more, minority representation in the sport and unfortunately there's not but i think um cycling's greatest weakness is the greatest uh area of opportunity you know it could really project the sport forward i think yeah absolutely well and you have this unique uh opportunity where you had this lifetime of basketball experience which generally basketball you know doesn't isn't a sport that overlaps with cycling a whole lot unless just as a product of cross training but you have the opportunity to reach out to all these athletes that you've known your whole life who've probably never thought about riding a bike and you're able to say 
hey, man, this is this is an amazing thing. This has really changed my life. I want you to try it too and have some of them yep. taking you up on that offer. Oh, yeah. One of my friends, he was a former NFL player. He was in, I won't take credit for him getting into it, but he was uh, dabbling in it. And once he learned that I ride too, like we kind of rode together and he starts riding more. Another friend of mine, actually a few friends of mine, one has gotten a mountain bike, another's gotten a Peloton and like I am seeing more and more of my friends who play sports, not only basketball, get into the sport in some shape or form, whether that be mountain biking, Peloton, or a road bike. Um, and they're, they're realizing the benefits of it. Well, and I know COVID has played a huge role in people adopting the bike more so just because so many other activities have been closed down. So I think that's also been, in a way, a really interesting blessing for the for cycling in general, um, which you is think, you know, crazy to think about. Think that, <laughs> right. Do you think those people, the COVID cyclists or pandemic cyclists will stick around once it's, we get through this? That is a great question. So I worked at a bike shop for the last six weeks, kind of moonlighting to help out. And we've had that discussion, you know, is this just flash in a pan? These people whose gyms closed or they can't go to yoga or they can't go to bar or, um, here in Colorado, all the ski resorts closed. You know, once those things reopen, do we think these people will stick with it? You know, I would be absolutely over the moon if we retain 40 to 50% of them. Uh, I think that would be be incredible. Yeah. And I hope that's what happens because go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if nothing else, I hope that it gives the non-cyclist who's become a pandemic cyclist, a newfound respect for cyclists that they will give us more respect when they see us on the road. I truly believe that. I do think, I mean, if yes, if nothing else, there's going to be a perspective shift there, a little bit more understanding and a less of the us versus them. Um, yep. And from the perspective of a lawyer who represents injured cyclists, my phone did not ring once the month of March, April, or May with someone that had been wow. injured. And it's because, as I've always said, I, I think this is what happened, is you put a lot of cyclists out on the road and then you pull a lot of people in cars off the road and it gets safer. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately in the last couple of weeks, the phone has been ringing again as people have started going back to work and back to their, their car commutes. We have started to see collisions again, but I think it's safety in numbers. So the more of us that are out riding, the safer it gets. I agree. I mean, look at countries like Holland. I mean, most of the countries on bikes, I don't know why we can't, implement some type of infrastructure here. Did you know that um, LA used to have like a LA bike highway back in the day? No, I didn't. What happened to it? They dismantled it first. I forget the reason. I watched this documentary. I think it might've been bikes versus cars. And they just, they talked about how there used to be a LA bike highway and uh, it's non-existent anymore. But I think stuff like that would help a lot. I mean, give people alternative options to commuting. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And frankly, to your point earlier about wanting as many people to experience the magic of bikes as possible, motivating you, I do think that people riding bikes makes the world a better place. And so, um, yes, having more people on bikes makes it safer for all of us that ride, but also I think it makes us better humans. I know that I show up as a better person when I ride my bike than when I don't. Agree. Same. And I think too, like 
you don't have to ride 20, 30, 50 miles to enjoy a bike. Just start pivoting no. towards, well, I'll ride, I'll ride the bike to the park or I'll ride my bike to the grocery store. Um, just kind of switch it out for something that you might be using your car for where a bike ride would suffice, you know? Absolutely. My rule is that I don't use my car for anything within a 10-mile radius of my house. There's just no excuse. It should all be bikeable. And like then what that. I started to realize was my stuff was spread out all over town and it didn't need to be. So I started moving my doctor. I started to move like my dentist. I started to move businesses that I patronize within the 10 mile radius. Um, because I don't need to drive all over town when there's things here locally. Uh, and so, yeah, I bought my car last year on labor day. It had a hundred miles on it. And, um, here we are into June and I haven't hit 5,000 miles yet. So I might make it to a year with like, I don't know, maybe 6,000 miles on the car. We'll see. It's interesting. I like it's fun. that. Yeah. You have a bike lock yeah, too and all that? Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that is, so I will say that's one of the barriers to people getting into bike commuting is um, there's a fear of sort of how to do it. And I think there's also this belief that you have to have a special commuting bike and special equipment and pannier bags and all that kind of stuff. And I just started with my road bike and a backpack and then a really good bike lock and would just bike groceries that way. So maybe you yeah. can give that a shot at the end of a training ride or yeah, something. I'm try give that. it a whirl. Yeah, good. I'm to good. Mile rule. Yeah. Yeah. Drag out your protractor and just draw a circle around your house and then just say, okay, what businesses are within this radius? And yeah, um, I like that. Yeah. The other big thing that's happened because of that, and then I promise we'll get back to you, Calvin. <laughs> no, it's um, fine. I like this. Is, uh, I because I do business with these these companies within the 10 mile radius of my home, I start to get to know the tellers at my bank. I start to get to know the people ringing up my groceries at Sprouts. I start to get to know the people at the dry cleaners. Like now it's not just throwing money at businesses whimsically. Now it's no, I'm here to do business with you for life. You're in my right. community and, and I want to know your name and I want to know about your kids. And so it's just changed the way I do business with my local businesses as well. And then for your groceries, you just throw the groceries in the backpack? That's how I started, yes. So I was just a backpack, okay. and I would take the backpack into the grocery store because then you fill it up with your groceries so that you don't accidentally overbuy, which I did too many times. Yeah. And, um, and then now I have an e-bike, which I use that for my, my bigger errands because I have a uh -huh. basket on the back that will carry a really big grocery bag. So I can carry a lot more stuff on the e-bike. Um, I never did get into the rack with the panniers. I was either just a backpack girl or uh, the basket on the e-bike. So, um, yeah, just earlier tonight before we got online here, I ran to Sprouts and got my week's worth of groceries. So it's one large grocery bag that will get me through the whole week and my dogs and stuff too. So, yeah, nice. it's totally doable. And um, it also forces you to spend less money, I've noticed too. Like you don't just pop out for some random thing. You don't just – run out to go buy this or that it's a lot more strategic and so it's intentional changed my buying. Spending. uh huh exactly and i might be really going down the rabbit hole here but i will say that the food that i choose to buy given what limited carrying capacity i have i come home and i feel more connected to the things that i'm eating and it's more intentional because there was effort involved i didn't just get in my car and go run and grab a bunch of stuff like i, right. I picked out things purpose so 
I don't know. I guess that's I all like to say that. that the bike has a really magical way of just kind of slowing me down with everything. Um, so, well, here's my next question for you about the bike then. So you mentioned earlier that you're going to be relocating to San Diego, which has a really healthy, booming cycling culture and population and a, a lot of yes, great infrastructure. So what do you think that's going to do for you in terms of your, your cycling lifestyle? I think it will enhance it. I mean, I know the cycling community out there is huge. I know a few people in the community I've ridden out there. Um, there are more hills, which I don't enjoy. So <laughs> I have to bite the bullet on that. I'll miss the flat roads of Arizona. But other than that, I mean, you can't really complain about, you know, have, have an opportunity to ride next to the beach every day. Right. And 70 and sunny every day, every day, every day. Yep. That's why I'm kind of like, I'm kind of a prima donna when it comes to the weather out here. Once we get above 85, 90 ish, I'm like, uh, I'll stay inside and lift it up. I'm not going out there because <laughs> I'm so used to that growing up in San Diego. Oh, so you're going back home then? Yeah, so I'm going back home. I grew up in that weather. I mean, anything above 85 and it's hot for us. Anything below 60 and we're too cold. We, you know, it's we're hard totally. to please. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, you know what came to mind there when you mentioned hills is I bet you would have an absolute blast on the velodrome. Have you ever done any track racing? I haven't, but I have another friend who suggested that to me a few years ago. Um, I think there is one in San Diego. Uh, uh, I, yep. Yeah, I think Double Park, right? Is it? Uh, I don't know the name of it. I've never personally been there. My racing was always up in Carson near L.A., but I know there is a velodrome okay. in San Diego. Yeah, so I, I'll oh, probably yeah. give it a shot to see what it's about. Yeah, absolutely, totally. Um, yeah. Okay, so when are you relocating? Uh, I'll probably be moving um, next month sometime. If not then, then okay. August, early August, but so relatively okay. soon. Oh, well, Scottsdale's, we're going to lose a, a great human. I'm sorry to see you go, but I'm happy <laughs> for you in your next chapter. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm sure so I'll be back to visit. Yeah, so I got a new job out there, so I'm relocating for, for a new opportunity. Um, okay. Yeah, my mom, my family and stuff is still out there, so it's kind of a natural move for me. It's not going to be a huge, uh, I guess, shakeup in my life, I should say, with my mom and my aunts and my cousins being there. And then I'm already familiar with all the roads, the traffic, all that kind of stuff, so that won't be an adjustment. Gotcha. Um, so tell me a little bit about your upbringings. Um, so are you an only child? Did you have siblings? Yeah, so I, it's kind of complicated, right? I have two half-brothers, and but I was raised as an only child by my mom. Okay. So, yeah, I was born in Sacramento, uh, lived it with, in Houston with my grandmother, I think, until I was two and, and then I moved to San Diego with my mom. She moved from Sacramento to San Diego. And we moved and lived in uh, North Park before North Park was all gentrified. It was kind of uh, the hood, basically. And I was living there okay. with my mom, my, my aunt, and my two cousins. And then my mom ended up uh, relocating us to a community called Mira Mesa. And it's kind of a suburb in San Diego County, just, just in the border of the beginning of North County. And I grew up okay. there and 
I mean, that was a great, it was a great childhood experience. Uh, my mom was usually busy working two, three jobs. So, uh, but I was really exposed to a lot of different cultures and different ethnic backgrounds. I grew up with around a lot of Vietnamese, Cambodian, Filipinos, uh, white people, a few black people. So I got exposed to all these different cultures and stuff. And I'm really, really thankful for that. Um, because, you know, a lot of people don't have that opportunity growing up, um, to be exposed to different cultures and stuff. Usually it's just, you know, I had a a colleague that I worked with at one of my first jobs in the professional world. And he told me the first black person he saw was in the military. So it's kind of like, wow, is that, you know, that's, that's crazy to me. Right. Yeah. They don't have the exposure, if you will, or the interactions as a young person, which um, obviously you thought nothing of it because that was your experience. And so that's Mm -hmm. allowed you to be um, a very open-minded and accepting adult. uh, And probably a lot of people that don't have that experience as a child end up um, growing up as a closed-minded individual, which is a really hard thing to undo as we're seeing. Right. And I'm a foodie, too, so I got exposed to a lot of different foods growing up with with all these friends. I got exposed to Hispanic foods, to Vietnamese food, Filipino food, you know, and I'm just like, man, there's so much. You miss out on a lot of that type of stuff, too, when you're not exposed to these different people. Right. Right. So, well, it sounds to me like you think very fondly of your childhood, that you, you felt like you had a really great experience. Yeah, I mean, there was, it wasn't, uh, I guess what's the saying? I didn't grow up with the silver spoon in my mouth, but my mom definitely did the best she could. I had a loving grandmother. I have a loving grandfather who instilled good values in me, exposed me to a lot of stuff early. My grandma did that. I didn't really realize what she was doing until I was an adult. Like one of the things she used to, when I'll go visit her in Houston, she would take me around, um, all the wealthy neighborhoods and, you know, ask me what I think about these houses and, you know, really instill in me, you can have that house that sh- you can buy that house. That'll be your house one day. Like all these little values that um, really, as I grew up, I-, I started to believe that I could attain certain things. I really didn't think anything was restricted to me because she did a, a good job of instilling different values in me for, you know, as far as my belief system. Um, so that, that was huge yeah. for me. Yeah, you were never taught that you couldn't or shouldn't as far as you were concerned. It was all there available to you and for you to have and for you to achieve. Right. And then you couple that with a work ethic. I'm seeing my mom work hard all the time. So, you know, I think sky's the limit. Really combine hustle with your desire and map some goals out. You can achieve anything. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful programming to a young person, isn't it? (laughs) That's really Mm -hmm. awesome. It is. Um, you know, we had hard times growing up. Be, you know, some eating leftovers or maybe not enough money to do this or do that or um, to do certain things that my friends were doing or, you know, Christmas gifts. We didn't really have money for that. So, but I, I was very glad that my grandmother and my mom too just instilled uh, certain values in me. So some pretty strong women in your life as a young person. Um, how has that shaped you now as an adult? I mean, do you do you find yourself surrounding yourself with strong women and strong driven personalities in general in your circles? Yeah, I think just strong uh, driven people in general, really. I mean, male or female. I, I like to surround my pe- myself with people who 
are uh, achieving more than I am, or, or they're at a place in the life that I want to be, um, that are smarter than me, you know, it's, I guess the saying is, if you're the smartest person in your circle, you need to find a new circle, right? And what, I, like <laughs> yep. being, I like being the quote-unquote dumbest person in learning from individuals who can teach me something, whether that be business, cycling, uh, entrepreneurship, I, I think that's key just for growth. I feel like we're we're here to grow. Well, that sounds like maximum enthusiasm, 110% there. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's this, there's this good saying that this author, Dennis Kimbrough, said, he's like, the moment that you cease to grow, that you begin to die. And I'm a really big believer in that, just continually growing in whatever you're doing in life. And is there something recently, can you think of specific advice or a story or a book that you've read or something recently that someone has said to you that has really just charged you lately? Um, I wouldn't say recently. Um, I read, I haven't been on a reading spree per se for a while, but there's this, I think Helen Keller has this book called Optimism that I have, and that's a really good book it's a short read um, but the point gets across i think that's helen keller optimism but nothing recently okay and so when you're filling your yeah, ears and off. your head with stuff are you a guy that's a big podcast consumer or do you are you more of a, a like an article reader how do you consume your information I usually do podcasts when I'm driving. I'm a fan of Joe Rogan, obviously. I'm more of a, as I've gotten older, I listen to sports talk podcasts. I'm a huge Colin Cowherd fan. Um, there's a Dr. Peter Atia. I like him. He's super cool for his scientific uh, thoughts on like fasting and just uh, longevity in general. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, uh, learning. No, I'm more of a visual learner. I like to look and see things. I like audio books. Um, books I like reading. I, I didn't really like reading growing up, but I kind of forced myself into that. If it's something that I'm interested in, then I can sit down and read it. So lately I'm reading, you know, coffee books, um, <laughs> stuff like that when I'm not, but I, I guess now I have to read for work and my new job. So that'll be taking up most of my, most of my, uh, my time. So, yeah, we were talking about that when we were first getting started, you were taking an online test about some new, uh, products cause you're in medical sales. And so are you in, um, pharmaceuticals? Are you hardware or what are you selling? So I've done both. Um, I won't speak to the company that I work for, but I, I will be in the stroke space. So I'll be selling a product that patients who have uh, strokes, they can, they can use, they won't use whether their physician will be using it on them. Um, so I that's see. what I'm learning about now. But I've done, I've worked in the OR and I've done the pharmaceutical thing in physicians, private practices. So I've kind of been around the block. <laughs> There's a steep learning curve from what I understand. And I, I can understand why you have to continually take tests. I can only imagine how much studying is involved to really understand the medical aspects of the stuff that you're dealing with but it sounds like you really enjoy it yeah I like it I'm a, you know it's funny because my favorite class or one of my favorite classes in high school and I really was not 
the best high school student <laughs> uh, was biology. I, I really liked biology. It captured my attention for some reason. So once I graduated and I got um, introduced to this field and in the training classes, they talk to you about anatomy. Um, they really get to the intricacies of like cells and all this stuff. And you have to really retain this information and be able to speak it. And for me, it was kind of secondhand because I was already, or second nature, I should say, because I'm already interested in this type of thing. Um, just the human anatomy and everything is how everything's structured um, and kind of it's, it's in the system. It has this place, you know, in the system. It's really interesting to me. I can hear your passion for it. And I really always <laughs> respect it when people find their place in their professional life that allows them to light up when they talk about it like that. So good on you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you got to, you know, we all, uh, you have to find something that you enjoy. At least, you know, you mean we work for what, 40, 50, maybe 60 years of our life. You should like it, I guess, at least somewhat or else it's going to be a long haul, man. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So given that, what advice would you give to young a young person, or frankly, I, I would say it, it could be anyone right now. Maybe they just got fired. Maybe, they're, um, maybe they got laid off. Maybe they're just in the COVID mm -hmm. space. Uh, you know what? It's time for me to pivot. I can't keep doing what I've been doing. Um, you know, what suggestion do you have to someone to – figure out what lights them up most of the time and help them find a job that they enjoy as much as you do. Yeah. I really would just kind of tap into understanding yourself first. What is it that you like to do naturally? I mean, uh, so for me, like I like coffee. If you like wine, maybe tap into the different aspects of wine and how you can make a living or generate income off of it. Maybe start your own winery, maybe start your own distributorship for wine. Um, I think if you have the means to where you have some savings saved up and you can buy time per se to really do some soul searching, I think COVID is a great opportunity to pivot. And, you know, I was laid off too. I think if you do just want to find another job, one thing would be tap into your network, tell people you were laid off, which is hard at first because, you know, it could be embarrassing. But I think what that does is it gets the word out there and you kind of capture that mental space in your friends and friends' minds and they know, okay, X got laid off. When I hear of a new job, you know, I, I, I will recommend them for this job. Tell them what you do. Tell them what it is that you want to do. Maybe they'll be in a conversation with somebody else in that industry that you're aspiring to be in and they can say, oh, I know Megan, she wants to do that. Can I connect you to? So those are just some of the things I would say people should probably do during this time. Um, and I think too, if you, even if you have a job now, and you don't enjoy it, just be grateful, be thankful that you have, that you are employed because there's millions of people who have lost their job overnight and who are going through tremendous hardships. So I think it might be a step back and think, okay, I don't really enjoy this the most, but it does afford me the opportunities to small things, buy groceries, pay the light bill, put gas right. in my car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just really take that step back and reflect because I think as Americans, we take a lot of things for granted. Um, and yes. we're, we're very good at complaining, myself included, um, mm -hmm. about things that are luxuries that people around the world don't have the opportunity to even enjoy running water even, you know? <laughs> right. I know something that we absolutely take for granted that, yes. Um, and, and I would add that if you are in a job that is really 
a struggle for you, this is where the importance of hobbies and things on the side, like a passion for coffee or a passion for cycling can really save a person because it's easy to want to numb out and do behaviors that you just try to avoid the pain and discomfort of the jobs. So you yeah. come home and drown your sorrows in some substance or overeating or Netflix or whatever it may be, instead of, um, you know, getting on a bike and going out and, and yeah. processing it, something that you love outside of work. I think exercise in general, right? You get free endorphins and that's clinically proven to enhance your mood. So if you can get active some way, shape or form, whether that be cycling, hiking, walking, running, I would absolutely say do that. Um, Cause right now more than ever, our mental health is important. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's under attack also for um, yep. a variety of reasons. One of, one of the biggest ones I would say is just this, um, the isolation that has come from quarantine. We are social beings and not being able to be together is really being, is really detrimental for everyone right now. I agree with that. Yep. 100%. One more thing I would add, too, is like if you have a job that you don't like, but you've been doing it for years, think of how you can pivot that experience and maybe start your own business. You know, the Internet is a great platform where you can do that now. Go direct to the consumers. Maybe you've been in construction. You're you're tired of being on the labor side of things. Maybe you can develop some technology or partner with somebody to develop some technology that leverages your experience that you already have and launch something on your own. That's right. I can hardly wait to see some of the new things that come out of COVID because I promise there have been people sitting at home doing just that and thinking outside the box of mm-hmm. new ways to do business. And I think we're going to see some really incredible convent, um, inventions come out of this time. And it's exciting because I, I think the adversity breeds you know, ingenuity and um, it'll be cool to see what comes out of this and, uh, yeah, I, I hope that some people do, if they have the opportunity financially, they give themselves permission to experiment and pivot. Um, as I said earlier, I was working at a bike shop for six weeks. I had no idea how much I was going to enjoy it. And since it has ended, I've really been missing it. And I wouldn't have yeah. ever believed bring me the joy that it brought me, but it really, really did. And uh, learned some things about myself that I didn't know and would not have learned if I hadn't given myself permission to just go try something totally different. So um, exactly. I think it's a great yeah. Well, Calvin, I'm super bummed that you're moving, but I also am really happy for you to get back closer to family. I know how important that is. And you're going to be escaping the Arizona heat too, which is a good thing. <laughs> Just in time. Yeah. Just in time. <laughs> uh, well, I wish you the best of luck. I hope we'll still stay in touch for sure and still cross paths Absolutely. on the bike. Um, I will definitely stay, continue to follow you on Instagram and we will post links to your Instagram feed. And uh, anything else that we didn't touch on or any, any parting words you want to leave our, our listeners about, about maximum enthusiasm living these days? Um, I would just say, you know, like, like I mentioned, if you haven't ridden a bike, I would definitely give it a shot. It doesn't have to be riding 30, 40, 50 miles. Maybe buy a commuter bike, do what you're doing, what Megan's doing. Buy a commuter bike, say, I'm going to commit to buying my groceries and using this a bicycle to get me to and from the grocery store or just think of simple areas where you can make uh, changes where you can um, put, put the bike in there, you know, and get, get on the bike, get healthy. I'm an advocate for living a healthy lifestyle. And that's, that's the only thing I could really think of. I think and follow that's great Megan advice. if you're not following her already. <laughs> oh, that's sweet of you. 
Well, and you know, your advice just brought to mind one of my favorite current slogans, which is do anything but nothing. And I think sometimes we have like this obsession. Um, you know, if it's not big, if it's not epic, epic, if it's not significant, if it's not an hour long yoga class, then I'm not going to do it at all. Why would I want to do right. 10 minutes? If it's not a hundred squats, then why would I want to do any at all? You're like 10 is just wasting my time. If it's not a hundred yeah. mile bike ride, I'm not doing it at all. And I think we have to really reverse that mindset and say, actually, no, 10 squats is better than none. Five push-ups is better Agreed. than none. Two mile yep. bike ride is better than none. Um, it really is the small, consistent behaviors on a day-to-day basis that add up. It's not the big, grand gestures that we do once a quarter that define us. Right. And, um, so yep. and it's really I good agree. talking with you, Calvin. I so appreciate you this too. time with I you. I enjoyed this. Thank you. And um, we'll post yeah, up a link to your podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, stay in touch, please. And uh, happy trails to you as you relocate to California. Thank you. I appreciate it. Stay healthy and All well. Right. You too. Bye, Calvin. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.